Thanks for listening to FYI Stillwater, where you will hear information about your local government you didn't know you need to know straight from the source. Be sure to check out other news and information from the city of Stillwater at stillwater.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm Jasmine Siebert, video specialist for the city of Stillwater. And due to the length of our podcast, we've chosen to split our conversation into two parts. So if you're listening to this episode, you're coming in halfway through a discussion with the Stillwater Police Department's Captain Kyle Gibbs, who serves as the city's police public information officer. We left off right after Sherry had asked Kyle about the department's recruitment process. So Kyle, please go ahead and continue. Okay, so when we recruit for officers, we actually used, of course, every local media that we can mm-hmm. but we are also advertised on national uh, mm-hmm. and statewide uh, outlets like the council on law enforcement education and training who certifies police officers mm-hmm. in oklahoma they have a website we advertise there yeah. most most agencies in oklahoma do because if you're looking for an oklahoma police job that would be the that's where they're all listed mm-hmm. but then also there are some national law enforcement websites mm-hmm. and um uh, and we post our ad, we post our one ads on those. Again, we're trying to draw from all over the country, or looking for that large pool of applicants that so we have lots of choices. Right. Um, and typically, we do have out of state applicants, uh, mm-hmm. as well as a whole lot of in states. We're very fortunate here in Stillwater, in that when we have officer openings, we usually have a large applicant oh, pool. Oh, that's good. Well, and as you can imagine. The size of those pools varies with the unemployment rate. Uh, yeah. when, the un- when jobs are good, and especially in Oklahoma, if energy jobs, mm-hmm. if the energy field is going, unemployment's low, and applicant pools shrink. But uh, so far, we've been fortunate. We usually have a 150 plus applicants mm, when, wow. when we're looking for police officers. Even our dispatch jobs, we usually have, I think, in this last pool, we had uh, 60 plus applicants. For one position? For, well, at the time, yes. Oh. It, uh, started as one, mm-hmm. became two. We had a, a dispatcher that transferred to another job within the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's kind of a rarity. Mm-hmm. There was a time when we didn't get that many. Yeah. But our dispatch supervisors kind of do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They are hooked up like on the on some national websites like uh, ABCO, which is the Association of Public Safety Communication Officers, mm-hmm. NINA, National Emergency 911 Association mm-hmm. or whatever. They, <laughs> they advertise at those different sites trying to attract a, a larger pool of ac- hopefully experienced mm-hmm. uh, dispatchers. Because a dispatch job, I think, would be would require a certain kind of person. Oh, it does. <coughs> um, it, it is a multitasking, yeah. it's a huge multitasking challenge. And I've always said for a long time now, uh, video gamers who sit uh-huh. up drinking Mountain Dew and eating Skittles all night, they do very well. My mm. son's got a job <laughs> opportunity now. We've or, been wondering. Yes. Or mothers of young yeah. children. Uh-huh. Both both of those demographics multitask very, yeah. very well. Uh, because imagine you're sitting in a room and, and you're listening, you're, you're typing and you're talking on the phone, but at the same time you have to listen for the radio. Yeah. And they monitor several radio frequencies. They have the 911 phones. They have the admin phones which are just normal yeah. business phones and everything they're doing they're typing and then they're having to listen and talk to officers so it's like 
oftentimes when it gets busy, it's like carrying on three conversations at the mm. same time. Yeah. And I don't know how they do this part because I, I think I'm, I am incapable of it now as I get older and my tinnitus gets mm. worse. <laughs> but they're listening to the dispatchers beside them or behind them to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it's just like they're this big, huge aura of awareness of everything that's yeah. going on around them. Um, and they got to stay calm mm-hmm. and do. and provide a solution yeah. for the person. <coughs> well, imagine yeah. people call 911 when, when there is an emergency going on in their lives that they need help. So right. as you can imagine, they are often panicked. Right. And they are not in their most rational state of mind. Uh, they are literally in a, in a panic. Right. The dispatcher is always the very first responder. Mm-hmm. They pick up the phone, and they have to glean enough information from that person in that panic state of mind so that they can send the appropriate help. And it help. could be any possible situation in the world. Oh, it could. Yeah. Um, yeah. In all the stuff that you see on the news uh-huh. that probably went to a dispatcher first. Right. Because they took the call. They, they're the ones who send the ambulance, fire, police. Right to try to get that person some help. So they are trying to get enough information to get help there. So they do have to remain very, very mm-hmm. calm. If they get excited and start and raise their voice and respond in kind to the person on the other end of the phone, that just that just drives the person on the end of the, the call. Right. That gets them more excited. So if you when you talk to people, if you watch, if you're if they're excited and kind of agitated if you're calm, they will kind of actually, it, they will they will adjust yeah. often to your behavior. If you get excited, think about your own domestic relationship. Mm-hmm. If you if you get irritated and excited and and talk to someone that way, they will respond in kind. Right. So, the dispatchers are very very good at that. Yeah. In fact, uh, here in recent years. We have been adding dispatchers to our crisis negotiation team. Oh, yeah. Because oftentimes, and traditionally, that's been a police officer role. Mm-hmm. But um, if you think about it, most of crisis negotiations with a, with a person take place over a phone. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's just that, that oral communication, listening skills are paramount. Mm, right. And... That's what dispatchers do every single day. Yeah. I appreciate them being called first responders. I hadn't uh-huh. heard that before, but they <laughs> really truly are because I, I was talking to one of the, we're trying, I was working with your team to try to get the message out about when and when not to call 911 and you saying they get calls all the time. Sometimes they get calls that aren't necessarily needing to go into right. that. So I'd like you to give a little bit of information on that. But one of the things that the dispatcher was saying is if he has to walk someone in a burning building through, should I leave this room? Should I not? He had pointed out the fact that if fire rescue team finds someone with a phone next to their ear in the ground, you know, in that room, then they can come back and say something to the dispatcher and and listen to that conversation and see the steps they walked them through. So they are having to pay so close attention to what people on the other line are saying and you can't get, you know, someone all in a panic in a hot house. You gotta figure out a way to get them out or the best solution. Right. So yeah. they yeah. have to be so talented and be able to mm-hmm. talk to those people. So that's that is truly a first responder. Yeah, and, the, and they do that very well, and they're giving those instructions and just repeating to make things very simple. Because if somebody is angry or, or in a panic, their, their rationale, their, their ability to 
go through rational thought is very much impaired. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the kind of the drill instructor approach to life. If you want someone to focus and do and focus very hard on something right now, use negative emotions. Mm-hmm. So you yell, you yell at them, and they react, and they it, it brings those negative emotions, and they focus. If you want them to think broad and problem solve, use positive emotion. So when you're trying to teach mm-hmm. someone and want them to learn how to do something. Um, you need to instill positive emotions because that enables them to sit back and use their rational skills more. Mm-hmm. So bring that to a dispatcher setting. Somebody in a, a burning building, they may get to the point, they're not trying to necessarily instill negative emotions, but they keep it very focused. Leave the house, get out of the house, go now, just go now, go out. just mm-hmm. And that's all they're repeating because that person, the panic, they just want to get out of the house. Focus on that. That's the number one thing you need to do to keep yourself alive. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how they're using their verbal skills to try to manipulate mm-hmm. or get a re, get a desired reaction from the person on the phone. Okay, but they also do other things. Like uh, once upon a time, we were emergency medical dispatcher certified. Mm-hmm. Whenever our fire department ran the ambulance service, so they would also have often have to give the dispatchers would give pre-arrival instructions. You call in saying, oh, my, my husband's had a heart attack. Uh, he's unconscious. Okay, so the dispatcher starts walking them through. The, they send the ambulance, so the ambulance is on its way. Um, now, our average, I don't know our fire department's average response time. I know the desired is always less than one minute out the door that's to get in the truck and go mm-hmm. and six minutes to get on scene it's faster than that that's mm-hmm. just kind of the the max limit but let's say that the average response time for a, a ambulance to arrive at your house is three or four minutes if a loved one is laying there that's not breathing and unconscious that is an eternity um so the dispatchers are get back then when we did emergency medical dispatch we would give pre-arrival instructions. Mm-hmm. They would actually walk people through how to give CPR mm-hmm. so uh, so that they could try and save the loved one's life or, or render aid, and they may give instructions on how to stop uh, how to stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. Any number mm-hmm. of situations, there was a, uh, I remember there was a big flip chart. Of course, they all go through you know extensive <laughs> training, but there's a flip chart of pre-arrival instructions. So whatever the emergency, medical emergency was, they would flip to that and start walking people through to try to offer them some assistance until the ambulance arrived. And that's why you you said something earlier about the dispatchers. You never thought about them being first responders. They like to be called the very first responders. The very first, yeah. Because when you have an emergency, that is the first contact you have Mm -hmm. with any kind of assistance or first responder entity. And that, so, and that truly is yeah. the case. So um, I would think that would be a very exhausting job. Like you leave, like if there's a lot of uh, activity during your shift, mm-hmm. when you leave it would just, you know, kind of drain you because you've been so busy or okay. or not. And how long are their shifts? Well, they typically work 10-hour shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a typical shift, but they, sometimes they may have to stay longer for coverage. So you, you bring up a great point, mm-hmm. it, it, and that's, this is, uh, it, it can be. Yeah. It, I think it, it is exhausting. It can be emotionally exhausting mm-hmm. and take quite a toll. I would think so. Um, 
But the the people who do it very very well mm-hmm. are the people who, even though it's that stress is it's exciting to them. Yeah, that's what hooked me. Mm-hmm. I did it. I started because I needed a job, but I it quickly. This was the most exciting thing I had ever done. Oh, I'm sure. Um, again, I, I grew up, my childhood was like beaver cleavers. Yeah. Uh, my dad always had a good job, and I just didn't know that, you know, problems, poverty, and prejudice mm-hmm. existed in the world. Mm-hmm. When I got into law enforcement, first as a dispatcher, and people were calling about things. I mean, I would always, I can remember often having that, that, that moment just going, You're, what? Why would anyone do that? Right. Mm-hmm. That was something I had never, ever been mm-hmm. exposed to. Um, so again, it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, some people see that as very stressful. Like I, I can't do this. Right. We've seen that with trainees, people who think they want to do it. They just kind of look at it as a job. Mm-hmm. But when they get into it, they realize that the stress is too great. <coughs> yeah, and the responsibility. You know. Right. Uh, I I, I do I think yeah. You know, it's like did I do everything? I you know did it go the way it should have? Am I responsible for something? that didn't go well you know I I, that would weigh on me so heavily but but I I can see your point that it would you know like so much is happening and you're like I'll just you know you're taking care of it (coughs) so that's a fascinating job Uh, it it absolutely is and here's the other thing that adds a lot of stress for dispatchers okay so I'm the police officer and the the dispatcher takes a call and sends me to a critical incident Mm -hmm. well as an officer at least I get there, I'm on site from the beginning of when I get there. I have the decision-making ability right. to, con- to somewhat control the outcomes. Uh, and, and I get to see it all the way through to closure. I know what happens at the mm-hmm. end. Uh, and then I have that control to, to make decisions or react to decisions that other people make. Right. The dispatcher just sends somebody they care about. They're sending a policeman, fireman, or somebody that works in ambulance to a call. And let's say it's a dangerous call. Mm-hmm. They just send them. They have no control over the decisions that take place yeah. after that. And because they often have to go on and deal with the next call, they don't They don't often have a lot of closure uh, mm-hmm. yeah. unless they talk to uh, the officer or firefighter <coughs> that was on scene to find out, okay, so kind of what was the outcome. So that's – but the big thing is, especially in the most critical incidents, we had a – we had a homicide case a few years ago mm-hmm. where a guy, he was, like I say, he was under the influence of some drugs, but he had just murdered a friend. And for whatever reason, he called 911. Mm-hmm. And he is talking to the dispatcher, describing what he had just done, talking about what well, he's walking down the road, still carrying the sword that he used. Yeah. And the dispatcher is having to send police officers to get this guy contained and controlled and apprehended so she knows he is dangerous right and she's having to send people she cares about and and boy she worked through it i mean if you listen to the radio traffic mm-hmm. calm cool and collected remember they'll show one adam 12 you probably don't <laughs> the dispatcher on adam 12 the most right. disfa- famous dispatcher of all time okay. where she was just that cold monotone one adam 12 one adam 12 you know that's how she talked <laughs> That's exactly, when you listen back to that call, that's mm-hmm. exactly how mm-hmm. Lisa sounded. Yeah. Calm, cool, flat. But it takes an emotional toll. When it was all over and it was handled, then that's when you get to deal with your emotions. And th- those are very difficult. So mm-hmm. when we have critical incidents, mm-hmm. and like 
we do debriefing with mental health professionals or psychologists or chaplains or whomever. Right. So the officer, let's say the officer who was involved in a shooting, can go and, and talk and, and kind of work through that because it, yeah. it, it is a huge emotional toll. We also send dis- we, we, we offer <coughs> dispatchers the opportunity to do that because right. they have lived that incident too with the added feature that they had to send a friend, someone they care about, to a very, very dangerous situation. <coughs> now that, and if people don't think about that, man, you're just on the phone. Yeah. And then you just talk to them. Then they may be. <coughs> then they may be um, have to take another call, and it may be a while before they find out what actually happened. That I could see that would be. It's like, hey, I hang on. I, I'm, I'm some. I'm in another you know events so i can't take your call yeah. but you can't do you're sending that. someone in the battle yeah. and then not it's like i want to know what's what going happened. on yeah. yeah that would be really difficult yeah it, it is and that's something early in my career something I, I i would never thought about and i think people in law enforcement generally didn't think about mm-hmm. but in recent years yeah you when you i don't maybe we're getting smarter maybe we're caring more I, <laughs> but yes we we kind of extend those same services mm-hmm. to dispatchers plus all the the on scene mm-hmm. responders, yeah, even uh, to the point that um, I can remember our most recent incident. If if the dispatcher feels like they need to just get off the radio and the phone for yeah. the rest of the shift, we we, we make that happen. Mm-hmm. Again, it can. There are things that that they have to deal with and that we have to respond to that are very 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 stressful, yeah. extremely stressful. And I just don't know that I've really thought about that early in my career. Mm-hmm. Again, you look at it, and most things, it's it's exciting, yeah. or it's funny, and it's fun to be in a part of that. I remember my first really big critical incident I had to deal with as dispatcher was a plane wreck uh-huh. at a small airport. The plane's taken off, it ends up nosing over, and it crashes. Mm. Um, I was the only dispatcher on duty, right. and that was very stressful because, as you can imagine, the phones just blow up. Yeah. Well, a couple of things happened. I was fortunate we had evening detectives, and one sat down and helped me work through that because you're, you're trying to do everything at the very same moment and right. make all these notifications and give help and all that. But I remember looking, when that was all over, and looking back, I thought, wow, that was difficult because I'd only been a dispatcher for maybe a, a month right. whenever that happened. Uh, so it was hard. But going back to what you said, I, can't, I remember thinking, I can't fail. Right. This. Yeah. People need help. I can't fail. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can just stand up and go, can't do this, and walk mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Uh, you have to get through it. But I remember looking back when it was all said and done, I thought, that was pretty fun. Yeah. That, that was kind of exciting. Yeah, and if you— and, I hate the you, fact that it happened, but it right. was— Right, and that you, you, were, you had an impact on yes. the, the way things went would, would be satisfying. You know. It was, yeah. very much so. so. And that's that fulfilling that you really— kind of back to it, it that's where you derive all your fulfillment from mm-hmm. being in public safety yeah. is yes you are really helping someone and in that respect even though they don't always realize it right mm-hmm. but um you are doing performing a service for the community almost always because keep in mind everybody for instance that we take to jail for creating a problem 
we are protecting in Stillwater 49,000 other people mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. and that person needs to go to timeout. Yes. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We take them to timeout until the things get better, and then they get out. Now, <clears throat> I attended the uh, Police Academy, uh, the Citizens Police Academy, and I have to say that was really uh, eye-opening for me mm-hmm. on a number of uh, levels. So uh, so y- you, ha- you play a role in organizing that and, and teaching yes. the public. Um, so with the public, you, you think you know because of all the police shows and, you know, mm-hmm. everything. You think you know it. Just like, but it, but it really is surprising when an officer walks you through what actually goes on, you know, the right. decision level that they make. Um, the video you play um, where the police officer drives onto a sidewalk and drives into the guy yes. to, made such an impact on me. So, so there was this other officer, there was a guy walking down the road carrying a gun, mm-hmm. a shotgun, in a neighborhood. And this other officer is in the car telling him to put the gun down, put the gun down. And the guy's not listening. And then another officer comes on in a car, comes around the officer that's, that's uh, telling him to put the gun down, and just runs into the guy. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, my God. But the guy was never going to put down the gun, mm-hmm. and uh, so um, I guess I should, like, <coughs> should let Kyle tell it. But that was the most efficient, safest thing. That's what should have happened. Mm-hmm. And then once you, that's explained to you, you're like, well, of course, well, of course, you would run over the guy. Yeah, we. Yeah, it's an incident. It was on film, and we kind of actually that was on our media night. Yeah. In fact, now I think we did this in your class. Yeah. We show two different media outlets presentation of that same yeah. story mm-hmm. and because we're looking at the tone with which it is delivered and one is very I, I, I would say it's not very negative but it's really questioning what happened here why yeah. was that done how was that ever appropriate and the other one has a very different perspective as far as it was the safest smartest thing that could have been done and what you got the guy had been kind of on a crime spree uh, two or three of those crimes were violent crimes, um, and he had just stolen that rifle right. from a, a local store. Was walking down the street, and they contact him. They've been looking for him because of the crime spree. So, as officers are kind of building this perimeter, one's following him very closely as the guy's carrying a rifle, and he even shot the rifle in yeah. the air. Mm. And that's all on the video. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the officer following, trying to talk to him, is way, way too close. He is placing himself very much in danger because if the guy just pointed the rifle, he'd shoot right through the windshield. Mm-hmm. And then all the people in the neighborhood, and he's walking toward an area that's far more densely populated. Mm-hmm. So this time is not on your side. The situation is worsening. And that's when, and, and so in the final analysis, lethal force is definitely a pr- authorized. They have to get this guy stopped mm-hmm. somehow. And then that's when the officer, the trailing officer, just pulls around and he just runs into him. Because to jump out and start having a gunfight, that places everybody in more danger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shooting bullets at a more populated area, which was behind him, that would have been far more dangerous than just hitting him with your car and knocking him down. And as it turns out, that was the best solution for the for the perpetrator as well. He got a broken <laughs> leg out of the deal, but he yeah, lived. And yeah. his chances were far greater of living through that than getting hit with a bullet had they decided yeah. to shoot. 
And then it's your job as the PIO to come in an hour or so after that and get in front of the media and tell them and recall all the facts to share Correct. that. That's and kind of help shed light on that because if mm-hmm. you just rely on what you see on the news, mm-hmm. going into all the details and decision-making of lethal force doesn't sell ads. So okay. they give the brief glimpse. You get, you know, 20 seconds on the story, and then they move on to the next story. So that's where it, it's the police department. We have to really be proactive mm-hmm. to kind of explain all the details. One mm-hmm. of the other big things we go into in that class is uh, when we talk about lethal taser. You always hear, well, he just had a knife. Why didn't they tase him? Mm-hmm. Okay, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about what somebody with a knife, their potential, what they can do, and also how effective a taser really is when you go to use it. When it works, it works great, but it doesn't always work. In fact, about 50% of the time, it does. you don't get all the fat pieces don't fall into place so that it works effectively. So you got a 50, you know, if you got a 50-50 chance and somebody's charging you with a knife, are you going to take that chance? No, I'm not going to even bet a dollar on a 50-50 yeah, chance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm sure not going to bet my life on it. That's really interesting. So you would recommend this class then I for would, residents to take? Yes. Okay. And how often does this happen? What was the, um, I guess, department's goal in starting this program? Our goal in starting that was, and, and this... The first discussion started back in 2000, late 2015. Okay. And our, our first class was in 2016. Our goal was to make a very intentional effort to try to educate the community that we serve about why we do the things we do. And it was in, in response, as you, if you remember, 2015, there was a lot of negative media. National. Nationally mm-hmm. about uh, police involved shootings, police officers, and all these questions being raised, it was huge. And we knew we needed locally, we wanted to do something cause to, to, to try to educate and hopefully create some more informed and better consumers of information. So that if we were ever involved in a really critical incident, mm-hmm. people that they understand why we do the things we do, they ask better questions, but also, if, at the very least, give us the time to do an investigation to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, law enforcement hires from the human race, and sometimes we get it wrong. But we don't. We need time to investigate to figure that out. Nobody wants to figure that out worse than we in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about this. Think about every story you ever heard about a police officer committing a crime and being indicted and sent to prison. Who investigated that case and brought those charges? Another law enforcement mm-hmm. right. officer or entity, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we, we clean our own house. Mm-hmm. And we're very fortunate in the U.S. to have that situation. We clean our own house. And there's about three-quarters of a million law enforcement officers. So when there's a bad apple, it's usually all the other apples that are investigating the case and bringing the charges. I... It, I, and I can only speak for the agencies I've worked at and the people I've met here in law enforcement and a few other places around the country. The thin blue line myth of we're protecting our own and we're hiding all the dirt, it, I, in my that, that is a myth. Mm-hmm. There's, again, our integrity is everything. Nobody wants to get rid of a bad apple worse than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some major Oklahoma cases where that applied in recent years. 
So, wow, we really went down We're into all over some the other place stuff. Today. This was this was interesting. I think we'll definitely have you back. I think maybe if we could have a dispatcher on yeah, here sometime. Yeah, I definitely want to talk that to would a be dis- interesting. dispatcher. Well, um, thank you so much for uh, being on FYI Stillwater. Um, I learned so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, um, yeah, we'll definitely have you back. Um, maybe if our listeners could tell us some of the topics they would like us to cover yeah. too. This and we didn't awesome. even get into community stuff. The, the police didn't. department yeah, is a lot it's, inside it, in the community. There's so much mm-hmm. there. So definitely need to bring back uh, Kyle. And I do want to talk to dispatcher. I want to know how they get through, yeah. uh, you know. How they get through everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. to me it's just fascinating. I would probably break down and cry. Like That's one of the things, detaching through. yourself. I know, <laughs> I would cry too. So uh, anyway, we are definitely going to have you back. Um, Outstanding. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for listening to FYI Stillwater. Tune in for our next podcast. If you have a question for City Hall, email news at stillwater.org, and in the next podcast, we'll answer a few of them. FYI Stillwater is available on our website at stillwater.org, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you enjoy your podcast.